Welcome to the Tech.eu podcast, where we discuss some of the most interesting stories in European tech today. I'm your host, Dan Taylor. Let's do this. Well, all right, all right, all right. You have found it. This is the Tech.eu podcast. I am your host, Dan Taylor, and we are the droids you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My God, it is a very special episode to me today. Those of you out there who are old enough to remember the band 311, they are one of my all-time favorites, and this is episode 311. I wish I was talking to Bono today, but he was unavailable, so we got the next best Irishman in line. We're going to be talking to Jimmy Fitzgerald today, but before I even bring him on the show, let's set the stage, shall we? Let's take a journey in time. Travel back with me to last May when London-based payments infrastructure provider Paddle secured $200 million in a Series D funding round led by Kohlberg, Kravis, Roberts, and company, perhaps better known as KKR. No less than 15 days later, that very same company announced the purchase of a U.S.-based subscription metrics and retention automation startup, ProfitWell. Hmm. In a deal... Wait for it. I bet you can guess the number. In a deal, reportedly, reportedly, let's see if we can get the actual number out of him, worth north of $200 million. Now, you don't need me to tell you, folks, that today's funding environment for startups is getting, uh, it's getting a, little, uh, it's getting a little, little tricky these days. And uh, we've noted an uptick in the number of mergers and acquisitions taking place in Europe. Therefore, joining me today to discuss some key items to keep in mind when considering and negotiating an acquisition deal, I'm joined today by a man who's seen both sides of the table when it comes to the acquisition. Uh, Not only did he close the ProfitWell deal, but uh, during his time as senior director at Siebel Systems, a popular CRM that was acquired by Oracle back in 2005, Joining me today is Paddle President and COO Jimmy Fitzgerald. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure if my accent is as good as Bono's, but I will I will try. Do you know what? I don't even think Bono has an accent anymore. Mm, I think not. I, I, I watched him on uh he did a he did an interview with Steve Colbert a couple days ago. And if you search on YouTube, you can find the unedited 36-minute version of that interview where he uh he he dishes a little bit about Van Morrison. But but listen, let's not uh let's not talk too much about Irish pop music, although uh I mean we could we could. Should we just change the theme of the episode? Jimmy, what's your favorite Irish Irish band? Ooh, the cranberries, maybe. That's Is it? Kind of my generation. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I think uh Anna might be unhappy if we call him a pop band. We might have to go with Roth Dan. <laughs> do you know do you know when I once met him in Dublin, I actually walked up to him and introduced myself and I said, Paul, nice to meet you. And he looked at me and he said, You got balls, kid. And I said, You got a great voice, Bono Vox. And he went, and props to you for knowing the second part of my name. All right, listen, Jimmy, come on. We, we, we've got listeners out there who are walking. You've told me you're a big podcast listener while you're walking. So let's get into it. Jimmy, I've never run a company, so I can only speak from speculation, but I would imagine that a great number of first, second, or even third time founders are going to be thinking that any discussions of an acquisition start with the financials. Is this is this your experience? Obviously, financials are super important, and you can't get a deal done unless the financials uh, are agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it 
it starts with what are you trying to achieve? So like every, mm. every company has a purpose, every company has a mission, every company hopefully has a view on where they want to be in three, five years time. And I think you have to start with kind of those lenses. Mm -hmm. And then you need to understand like what helps you get there faster. And that's where obviously acquisition is one route and there, there's other routes. And when I think about uh, coming together with ProfitWell, we started with like, what's our ambition as a company and how do we accelerate our path to our ambition? And mm. that was the first name of an external company on the list. And, and we, we approached them then. If I'm going to assemble a, a, a list of questions, right? I mean, what are some key questions? Founder to founder. Let's talk founder to founder now. What, what, if we're sitting at the table, what are some key questions I should be asking you or you should be asking me? I joined the company 18 months ago to partner with the founder and CEO Christian Owns. Um, sure. It was a part, it was a founder to founder deal mm. um, in terms of the primary interface that was by design on our side. Uh, Christian had an already well-established relationship with Patrick um, and Faku, the other and, and Peter, but uh, Patrick predominantly. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, as a founder, you're very passionate around why you've created your company. You, you're trying yeah. to put your dent on the universe. So I think it's like really getting to a common place on what is the mission of Paddle? What is the mission of Profit Well? Are those things aligned? Mm -hmm. um, can we accelerate our path to our goals by working closely together, partnership or acquisition? So I think it starts with really the, the mission and purpose of the company and, and whether they're aligned and mm -hmm. it makes sense for us to continue the conversations. That's super, super important. Um, depending on where the stage of the company is, Dan, in my experience, like if the founders are still early in their journey and they want to continue accelerating towards their purpose and mission, um, they probably want to be playing a key role in mm -hmm. any kind of uh, acquisition or merger. So it, I think after it's like, are we trying to get to the same place in terms of in terms of mission? How do we complement each other in terms of kind of skills and competencies and things like that? And is can we work together? Uh, yeah. We all come to work every day. Um, spend a lot of time at work. And I think we need to be really comfortable that that we get along. So the chemistry of the team and the dynamics and all those things become really, really important. And over our multi-month process with uh, ProfitWell, all of those things and, and others were discussed. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I mean, when you're searching for a co-founder or, or an investor, you're talking about a long-term relationship. But I guess it's uh, very much the same when you're doing a, a merger and acquisition. You're, you know, can, can you hold hands and and will you be happy waking up next to each other uh, for the next uh, 10, 15 years? I think what was really important as well, it's not every case. ProfitWell was incredibly successful in their own right mm. and 10 years old. Paddle yep. was incredibly successful in their own right and 10 years old. So it's not like we were going after a company that was looking to be acquired, right? Sure. So they were still on their path and wanted to continue on that path. So it might be different if a company and in the current environment this is happening you've got a cash runway you're out of cash in six months you can't get your new funding round done mm -hmm. and you're looking to actually continue the journey in a different way the dynamics in that conversation might be very very different than the dynamics that we had when we got we got together with profit well right so once the uh trajectories are aligned and the money is on the table uh how should founders approach a term sheet and what the what should they expect after they've got one we start with signposting for price, buy price and sell price, Dan. And what I mean by that is we're 
we're all trying to second guess what the number is, right? So as you start uh, getting to know each other process, the dating process, you believe that you're better off coming together through this acquisition. The topic of price is a tricky one because you're not going to come with, here's the price I'm willing to pay. Um, and they're not going to come with, here's the price I'm ready to sell for. So it starts with very vague references to price. And even before you get to price, it's like price means many things. Is it is it like cash? Mm. Is it cash and stock? If it is stock, does it come in the form of common stop, stock and a stock option? So you kind of have to, before you get to the the amount of money, it's like in what in what way do we kind of approach that? So that's pretty important. Um, and then eventually you get to a place where what we're thinking about is a number in this range. And they'll say, what we're thinking about is a number that has to be north of this. So it starts with very soft signaling to a range. Um, and eventually it'll get close enough that we feel like, okay, this can be done. We haven't locked in on a specific price, but it can. we know that if we work hard, at that stage, I think it's really important that it goes from two people mm -hmm. to you get more formal around this and you form a deal team on both sides. Yeah, And then you get to, okay, a little more conversation and eventually you have to get to a term sheet. In our case, we actually didn't just send a term sheet. We walked through at a high level what it would look like, uh, got acceptance that that mm -hmm. was in the range. Then we formalized the deal, the term sheet, and then went into a negotiation with lots of people involved on both sides, uh, attorneys, board members, et cetera. Mm, the fun stuff, yeah. Well, actually, you know what? Now that you mentioned board members, talk to me. How how do you, you know, what are some tips maybe that you can give uh, on getting that all-important buy-in from the board? As with anything, I think with your board, they don't like surprises in my experience. <laughs> I, I happen to sit on two boards um, that are also in the technology space. And I think it's, if you feel like your company can be more successful um, with an acquisition, you don't you don't surprise the board and say, hey, I'm having conversations with this company. I'd like your approval. And in our case, it started much earlier. We did a poll we called this. When I was joining the company, we were undergoing an initial scan of the market to understand. We, we saw multiple like multiple reasons. It's like the competitive dynamics in the market. If there's an opportunity for us to do an acquisition, if there's an opportunity for us to partner, so it was, and we were doing readouts of that project to the board. So they were on the journey with us for probably a year before we got really talking exclusively to, to ProfitWell um, and just take them on the journey. Uh, every time there's a material update, they should be aware of it and then be really clear on their role. Like you can't put a term sheet to acquire a company without board approval. Do you, sure. do all the board want to be involved in that? Do they delegate a subset of the board? So some of the like governance around that needs to mm. be agreed upfront. So as you're iterating on the negotiation, you know, do you have to convene your board every time you want to do these discussions or is there one person that's playing primary? So just understanding the rules of engagement with your board um, is really important, but I think the most important is no surprises. Now, Jimmy, I mean, one last thing on the, on the, on the term sheet and the numbers, if you will, um, due diligence. It's one of my favorite topics. Uh, any tips on how to ensure confidentiality and, and or uh, avoiding a sort of, shall we say, bombardment, the acquiree with data requests? Yeah, great question. Um, once we got to a place where the term sheet was agreed, we had to do two things on our side, Dan. We had to go raise $200 million, like you cited at the <laughs> outset, 
and we had to complete due diligence. That due diligence yeah. served two purposes. It gave us conviction that we were making the right decision as a company. And it also was really important to the to the new investor that was giving us a big amount of money. So we wouldn't have got Series D done without completing this due diligence. It was a critical part of that for them. Um, we assembled a small team. Um, basically, they were the deal team. Uh, they actually had to sign, uh, get reminded of all their security and responsibilities of confidentiality. Um, on the ProfitWell side, it was a much smaller team. Um, mm -hmm. It was, I can't remember the precise number, I think it was like half a dozen people initially that might have been involved. On our side, it was slightly larger. Uh, we stood up that deal team. I had experience of doing these things before. We So we had a work stream on technology, a work stream on go-to-market, a work stream on synergies, a, you know, a work stream on how we integrate the products, et cetera, et cetera. Um, each work stream had a work stream leader. We assigned a program manager, and we went off about doing our, our due diligence. In my experience, companies will often ask for way too much information because it's <laughs> on some recipe that they've got from an investor or some sure. some external reference. Yeah. Uh, Patrick and Faku did a really good job of telling us that they were a very efficient company and didn't have a big team of people sitting around to, to serve our every need. So we were very thoughtful on precisely what information we needed from them so that when we went to them, we felt that was, we could explain the rationale why we wanted each piece of information and yeah. made it as efficient for them and for us as we could. Now, once you start, once you know that you're going to go in this direction, like every conversation I was having with a paddler, with a partner, with a prospect, with a customer, um, I'm not going to go and say, hey, I'm thinking of, we're thinking of doing this. But you can start talking about, hey, we, uh, we paddle are lacking in this area. Analytics was an area that our customers already knew that we were like behind. So we can then have conversations or, hey, for the purpose of subscription analytics, who are you using? Who's your provider? Mm. Oh, my provider is ProfitWell. Tell me more about that and how it's going. Mm. Would you like an integration? Would you like this? Same with people on the ground that are engaging with customers and prospects each and every day in my go-to-market team, asking them for intelligence. So we're building this kind of picture of, of the acquisition before gotcha. the due diligence. That then influenced exactly what we're going after in the process of the DD asks. That process yeah. ran for six to eight weeks down on our side. It was pretty intense for both sides to get to a place where we could actually, we had a very extensive deck that we had to go present to our board and basically walk through the due diligence and mm -hmm. the recommendation and precise terms and get formal agreement to go to, to go to execution. So crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's. When you merge two or more, two or more companies, shall we say, uh, obviously there's going to be some overlap. There's going to be some redundancies. They're inevitable. Uh, sometimes this means people are let go. Other times, uh, roles are reassigned and both sides have the opportunity to become greater than the sum of their parts. One of my favorite expressions, uh, was this the case with paddle and, uh, what, what type of advice can you offer to our listeners to safeguard the company through this process? Before I answer that directly, Dan, when we presented to the board, I think it's it's a useful summary of why you do due diligence. We had we have a board member who I respect an awful, awful lot who built a large company and sold it very successfully. And at the end of like a very long readout in this deck, he's like, when you do an acquisition, there's there's three things. Like product, typically innovation slows down versus gets accelerated. Tell mm -hmm. me more about about how you're managing that. 
The second is go to market. Can you get a win next week? Can you get a win next month? How do you go show success in the marketplace? And the third is people. Will the people be happy? If, 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 if the people aren't happy, you're obviously going to be challenged. So we actually ran the whole integration work stream. So when we got the deal done and leading to your question, we now have a post-merger integration, a PMI Styrco, PMI leader. And essentially the lens we look through as we report to Styrco monthly is how are we doing in product? How are we doing in going to market? And how are we doing in people? So, um, and one of the things that, again, not unique to this particular deal happening, but we went into it very confidently saying there is no layoffs. Like that's not happening. We're both very early in our growth. Both companies will be very successful in their own right. So we could stand in front of our combined teams and going, this is about us coming together. And there is no synergies, layoffs that we're looking at. The synergies we're looking at are how do we accelerate revenue? How do we accelerate product innovation? And we could take that off the table on, on day one. And then uh, depending on the functional area, we made decisions on, on product. Uh, engineering, we integrated those really, really fast. So Faku was a co-founder at ProfitWell. He became our chief product officer. So all product managers on both sides went under Faku pretty much on like month one. Uh, our CTO is Andre. And again, we quickly decided that all engineers under ProfitWell, all engineers under Paddle quickly came under Andre's leadership. And we started working on process integration with uh, product and engineering really, really fast. Then if you turn your attention to like go to markers, uh, I made a decision that we would not integrate the teams. Both teams had a aggressive growth numbers for 2022 mm -hmm. and essentially kept the teams separate with, with some playbooks on how we collaborate. But we worked back from on the 1st of January, 2023, we want to be one paddle across everything. So we didn't rush certain areas of the company. We actually said we're going to be really deliberate and really careful of how we bring them together. Everyone knows what everyone has clarity on what they're doing today, like post merger. Um, and on the 1st of January uh, 23, which was about nine months away when we got the deal done, we felt that was enough time for us to really think carefully around org design, how we take our combined products to market, how we design comp plans. So we were much more thoughtful and slow on bringing those together. And now, as the 1st of January approaches, uh, we're at the, the pinty end of that process. So we can turn up on the 1st of January and say, we're like, one Salesforce instance, one sales process, one yeah. comp plan, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So keeping two two units uh, going at full steam and and just letting them work together. Wow, that's fantastic. Cool. I dig it. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners, uh, particular to uh, uh, Bono or the uh, the uh, paddle and pro profit and the cranberries <laughs> and the uh, profit well merger? Or share, share, share some experience, Jimmy. I, I know you're a seasoned veteran. Uh, we've got some younger listeners here. Tell tell them uh, something you would have told yourself twenty years ago. Uh, keep it keep it super simple. Like the advice from that board member after we presented, I I don't know a ninety slide deck to our board. It's like bring it back to like the simple things in life. And in our case, it was like, will the will the product innovation accelerate? Will the go to market teams come together? And is there a cross sell synergies? And how do you make sure you keep the amazing talent you have on both sides? So I think there's a tendency for us to get into the details and the zeros and the ones and the high level of detail. What does the sales process look like? Step two, step four. And I think our job as leaders is to kind of push ourselves and, and our teams to zoom out and really focus on the big rocks. And for me, 
in the space of tech and bringing two companies together, the, the three big rocks are product, go to market and people. And that's how we start our steer codes on a monthly basis. We start our steer codes with like, how are we feeling? Red, yellow, green on this, red, yellow, green here, yet really green there. And the other piece is, is a learning for us with this, which is there is a tendency when you put that governance in place that it's all the talent from the acquiring company that's on that steer co and on that working group. We worked pretty hard to make sure that we actually had um, for every role on the working team or on Steerco that was from Paddle, we also had a corresponding role from ProfitWell so that we always felt it was like the two of us in this together to get to one Paddle by the 1st of January, 23. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, this directly from a man who makes a $200 million acquisition sound Quite frankly, simple. That's all the time we've got today. My name is Dan Taylor. Yours is not. I've been joined by Paddle President and COO Jimmy Fitzgerald. And we are out of here.